Hello, big brother. Hello, little brother. It appears that you have figured this out finally, eh? Well, to be really honest, I'm still recording through my browser. Because for some reason, <laughs> a link sent by you does not recognize the app. Maybe the app is to uh, figure your own podcast out and not so much as join another's podcast. No, but that's not what the YouTube video said. The, the woman sent the link to the man and the man clicked on the link and it opened in the, in the, in the app. And then they both had the same screen with a timer on it and with their names on it and all that. Anyway, but maybe it's a device thing then. Probably it is a device thing. I'm on my iPad, you're on your phone. Maybe that's what it is. Anywho, that's not why we're here. Welcome, brother, to the inaugural episode of uh, Two Brothers Podcast. We are two brothers, as you might have uh, guessed. <laughs> so, how has the day been, brother? What have you been up to? My day's been good. Uh, nothing to report so far. Um, Did you catch the looking... action last night? Well, I watched a match and a half. What, what's a match and a half? How does that work? Well, I watched the first half of uh, Misery for the United fans and then I caught the Chelsea-West Brom game. Uh-huh. As much as I hoped that West Brom would cling on to their lead, it wasn't to be. Can but we, yeah. We'll, we'll come back to the Chelsea game later, of course, uh, because that happened later. Let's talk about the United game first. So, what is your impressions over the first half? Well, I must say that when United are uh, forced to play on the front foot and cannot deploy their counter-attacking speed and that front trio, they struggle. And I think this has been a pattern for a great many years. It's not recent. And uh, while Bruno Fernandes helped them get out of this hole, I don't know how many holes he'll he'll be able to help them uh, get out of during the course of the season. Well, that makes sense. I mean, this is something that was, uh, you know, reflected by these uh, pundits on TV as well. That United have struggled to break teams down. That just sit deep and invite the pressure because there's no there's no creativity in the middle. You know, there is there is Bruno Fernandez and there is uh, the, you know the likes of Pogba and Martial and stuff. But they, I think they rely too much on you know these tricks and uh, you know nutmegs and stuff and finally getting through on goal and then nutmegging the keeper also and then scoring i don't know what that's about like if you see a space just go for it now i don't know why they insist on doing all that trickery anyway so yeah typical united fashion away at home getting pressed getting pressed and brighton by the way hit the post five times brother five times You know, uh, catching the highlights, uh, it did appear that United were lucky to escape with a win. I would say they were more than lucky. So, obviously, let's let's go goal by goal. I mean, I remember the match, but I don't remember the sequence. The first uh, penalty by Mope, it was obviously this guy, Lampty, this guy who they bought from Chelsea, the young fella running across on the right-hand side of the flank towards the goal. And he kind of just leans into Bruno Fernandes, kind of. Bruno Fernandes maintains his course and they start, sort of collide and he goes for it. And then there's the whole VAR check and that's a penalty. Now, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of footballers, you know, going for it. I mean, I, I understand the instinct to win a football match and against a big team like United, points are valuable. But again, you know, the whole integrity of the sport gets uh, degraded if you just go for penalties and, you know, start diving around. And Brighton did that a lot. In fact, on two, two other occasions, they uh, tried to get a penalty, but they didn't. Thank God. 
you know you and i have played football yeah. and uh, this kind of penalty would never be given in a five aside seven aside or you know even a full sized uh, pitch uh, in in the neighborhood mm-hmm. football we play so it's uh, shocking really that you know this has become so prevalent and it's not a recent thing you know people have been diving i think for the better part of 20 years the the good old fast fashioned uh, hustle and bustle of football is gone and now people just look to get any technical edge they can uh, for a 80 kilo muscled man to go down under a touch you know it's not physically exactly. possible so i don't know i don't know what's the long term solution on this but yeah it definitely is not pretty and lampty did go down easily yes he leaned into bruno fernandes fernandes himself has been very very lucky to get penalties on several such occasions so in a way it's karma well, that's true i mean i'm i'm a united fan and i'll tell you the our entire last season hinged on getting var penalties and bruno fernandes converting them that's 18 out of 18 for him by the way that's that's incredible That is incredible. So anyway, Mope steps up and he does this whole Penenka penalty and he you know does this terrible celebration, which really you know rubbed me the wrong way. And uh, three minutes later, he was obviously punished. Brighton were punished by an incredible cross field set piece by Bruno Fernandez, picked up by Matic on the far corner, tapped it back in, and Dunk scores an own goal, and that's one one. And then we had to half time. And that, at this point, it's anybody's game, brother. it was everybody anybody's game and you know kudos to maguire i mean he gets a lot of stick for the defensive frailties but i think he's a very uh, solid uh, set piece asset to have in your team and once again he's reacted the quickest he did that with lester a lot you know uh, his forehead <laughs> became almost a, a yeah, meme fest slab head and you know uh, they they did call him slabbed and uh, it shows that you know you have bodies in the box uh, in a set piece anything can yeah, happen that's true i think you need that kind of height and physicality in the box i mean think of the likes of uh, what van dijk rio ferdinand in the past who else who else can you think of vidic maybe vidic scored a lot of headers but obviously i'm a united vidic did uh, even further back for arsenal so sol campbell was yeah. always a threat uh even thomas vermalen when he came in he wasn't the biggest but he had an mm-hmm. incredible leap so these defenders who chip in with goals i think absolutely, they're absolutely so anyway the match goes on and right after the the second half starts we have another penalty scare with pogba bringing down i don't know what is was it march was somebody he brings him down the var it kind of looked like pogba got him on the back of his uh, hamstring a bit but var ruled out the penalty and i was i was at this point i was glad because i just i didn't see a goal from united coming from any part of the pitch i mean mason greenwood put the ball in the back of the net but that was offside rashford scored that was also offside so i was i was i was really not uh, in a comfortable position when this penalty was given but luckily var ruled it out well to be honest var has been criticized uh, last season but this season i think they've been spot on uh both the offside decisions you know uh, spotted excellently by the on field referees and confirmed by var and most importantly the penalty decision that was reversed you know far too often we see forwards who just get half a yard on a defender go down looking for a penalty yeah. and a red card and that really spoils yeah. the game so it's it's heartening to see uh, the var being employed correctly and on this occasion i don't think pogba was at fault and uh, he got absolved you what we'll come back to var and we'll have a proper discussion about it because there is an incident in the chelsea game that i want to discuss but we'll come back to that anyway 
United press on and in a typical uh, counter-attacking fashion, Bruno Fernandes finds a run of Marcus Rashford. He runs and he runs and he reaches the box, cuts one or two defenders, coolly slots it into the top right corner. You know, reminiscent of uh, a certain Mesut Ozil. I remember this this goal that he scored in, uh, what is it, Europa League against some team somewhere. You remember that goal, bro? Yes, I do. And I'm <laughs> glad you brought it up because that was the goal I was uh, reminded of as well when I yeah. saw the highlights. That was a goal against uh, yeah. Ludogrets. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, nice when a forward, uh, you know, when he's on a one-on-one or with a last-man kind of situation to take his time. You know, sometimes we see people scuff their chance, you know, and take yeah. it too early. But really, if you have all the time in the world and you back your skills you can make the defence and the goalkeeper look foolish. And that's what uh, Rashford did as well. I must say, very well. I agree with goal. you, brother. I think it's it's a lot of composure on his behalf. Even, you know, with all the criticism that he's been giving, getting on social media and all that, to maintain his nerve in that position and get us uh, in the lead was uh, quite a good finish. So... Uh, the match were carried on for a while and I would say uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer started getting a bit of the heebie-jeebies to be honest and he pulled off, uh, uh, I think it was Greenwood he pulled off and he put on Eric Bailly as a defensive uh, kind of, uh, you know, reinforcement and he took off Pogba and he put in Fred. Clearly a defensive-minded move there. Well, I missed that one but uh, thanks for recounting it. And, uh, you know, if you're 2-1 away at Brighton, you've not necessarily had the best start to the season. I think you can be forgiven uh, to park the bus. Uh, on the other hand, if you, you know, leave out, uh, if, you, if you take away all your creative assets, I don't think that necessarily is a brave thing to do, especially when you have a slender goal lead. And uh, the oppositions at that point hit the post, what, about twice three or, or times? four times. But that's the thing. Eric Bailly came on about when there was still like 75 minutes on the clock. So, there was still a significant portion of the game left to be played. But uh, anyway, and uh, that's what Solskjaer did. And it obviously kind of backfired when in the 94th minute, March left free on the far end of the of the post, just had a, an empty goal to head it into and he took it really well. And that was it. I remember it was 30 seconds on the clock at yeah. that point till the final whistle. Yes. And, you know, uh, let's talk a minute about De Gea's yeah. positioning. I think uh, what he's guilty of there is being drawn to the ball without necessarily doing mm-hmm. anything about it. So, a, a cross has come in and uh, he's he's been drawn to the two people who battled for the ball at the near post, leaving the far post unguarded where March heads it into the empty net. And, you know, once again, De Gea, I've I mean, he's been at United for the better part of a decade. He's a he's a top top goalkeeper, but his form has just slipped so alarmingly over the last two three seasons that you know a top goalkeeper, for example, Emmanuel Neuer, you you think of Van der Sar and Petr Cech at their prime, these guys would have anticipated that there's an unmarked player at the far post, at least position themselves a couple of steps to the right, so that you know you're at least giving yourself a chance because the header that has come in is not the strongest. It's headed down into the ground and bounced into your net. So, you've got to back yourself and give yourself a chance to at least get a fingertip to it. But he's not done that. So, uh, I would say that he's not completely culpable, but there is an element he could have done. See, I'll tell you what, being a a keeper myself, I I kind of sympathize with De Gea because he's obviously looking for uh, a near post tap-in and that's what he's trying to, you know, prevent. 
and everyone's missed it. Uh, Eric Bai missed it. Uh, I think it was Mope who was there who also missed it. And I would in the in the in the last goal, I would blame the likes of Mambisaka who was completely out of position, and Bruno Fernandez who didn't uh, check the run of this March uh, guy. Eventually, he was left free at the back post. So these guys are to be blamed in my opinion. I mean, it's a big goalpost, and De Gea can't be at two ends of the goalpost within a, a, a split second. So for me, De Gea, well, he's had his issues lately. I agree with you there. But for the third goal, I would not blame him. I would rather blame the likes of Fernandez and Wambisaka for not picking up that run on the side. That's what my opinion is. Well, spoken like the true De Gea. <laughs> I'm not a fan, but yeah, I am a keeper. So I, I kind of sympathize with that. But anyway, so he scored at the 94th minute. And I'm, at this point, I'm thinking, damn it, they've done it again, United. And I'm just like, I, I remember I got up and I left and I went to the kitchen to get myself some water and then I, I the, the audio was still on and I heard some bit of some commotion going on and I'm like what, what's this about maybe there's like a you know full-time brawl going on between the players because you know how it is this happens and I, I come back like 10 not like 10 15 seconds later and there's a VAR check going on and then there's a replay and clearly Maguire has uh, headed the ball back after a corner which was won by uh, Van de Beek of all people and clearly it hit Mopé on his hand was it Mopé? Was it? it was Mopé. It hit him on his hand and that was it. And mind you, the final whistle had gone. There's a scuffle going on with the Brighton players saying, oh no, you've blown the final whistle, this is it. And there's a bunch of United players willing, no, there's a handball. The referee gets a call on his uh, intercom. He goes over to the side for a VAR check and lo and behold, there is a handball. So this, brother mine, is the first instance, in my opinion, of a penalty which is awarded after the final whistle was blown, which is, which is mind-blowing for me. Well, uh, if you consider the sequence of events, what happened was that mm-hmm. a corner was won, the ball came in and it was headed back across the area. And f- following that, it was yeah. cleared. And then the That's referee true. blew his whistle. So, I think uh, following the sequence of events, it is completely correct that a VAR check can uh, you know, give a post-facto penalty. Now, Mope is clearly to blame. Uh, he has no business going in with his hands raised like that. But, you know, I think we should dial it back to a fundamental question of the mm-hmm. new handball rule. Because we've seen a few of these given, uh, you know, and the season's only two and a half weeks old. But we've already seen a few contentious handball penalties given. Now, early on, the referees, uh, you know, at their discretion, could figure that, you know, if a person's less than two, three yards away and a cross has come in and there's not a clear intent to sort of block the ball with your hands, they would let it pass. You know, especially with these second ball uh, mm-hmm. handballs, wherein the cross comes in and somebody heads it and, you know, you're you're half a yard away and it hits you in the arm. There's nothing you can do. But all of a sudden, the rule has changed. And it says that at any point in time, if uh, the hand is away from the torso and it hits it, it's a penalty. So, rather than blame the officials, I think everyone should look at the guys who made the rules and ask them a few I'll questions. I'll tell you what, bro, now that you've mentioned it, I think it's it's the it's the players and the managers who have kind of brought it on themselves. I mean, it's been years and years of criticism for referees in post-match conferences and, you know, social media. The likes of Jose Mourinho come to mind. You know, they've openly criticised referees for these decisions. These last-minute handballs, which were... Well, you know, maybe they weren't really handballs, like you said, but they were they touched the hand, and you know, the intent comes into question because who knows what the intent was, you know. But and that's it. And eventually, this has led to the evolution of VAR that people were just not happy. And football now has just 
it's it just it doesn't feel like football anymore i i, I tell you what uh, the point where rashford scored his goal well no no not the rashford goal the other goal the march goal which was the 94th minute winner the, the equalizer for for brighton i waited a full like 10 seconds after that to make sure there was not offside there was there was no var but now you know earlier it used to be if the ref has given it he's given it there's no way of going back and if the linesman hasn't raised his flag it's a goal and you can cry all about it but now even after scoring a goal you you kind of not sure if you've actually scored the goal so you know that's taken the the fun out of football a bit the spontaneity of the sport is kind of gone it's it's uh, it's gone into reviews and i'm not uh, really a big fan about this uh, these interruptions to be honest well uh, we watched football a long time and uh, this is actually commonplace in american sport uh whether it's nfl whether it is uh, you know nba wherein uh, you know you can shoot and then get a retrospective foul and you know get a few free throws in so i think it's a matter of the viewers getting attuned to it because uh, goals and their celebrations yes they are best enjoyed spontaneously but i would still say that uh, maybe one in four or five goals will go down mm-hmm. the way our way but uh, most of the other goals will feel spontaneous for example uh, the goal that was scored uh, uh, by mason mount yeah. in the chelsea game uh, that goal uh, a staunching you know 25 yard strike into the bottom right corner uh, it was very good and there was no doubt about it so moments like these will always be enjoyed and uh, it's it's a simple matter of getting attuned to it uh, you know the offside rule uh when it was changed in the you know maybe the 60s 70s uh it caused a lot of consternation mm-hmm. as well but now the fans are okay with yep, it yep yep i agree with you there maybe it'll take some uh, you know getting used to this whole thing speaking of var penalties the second game didn't have uh, you know uh, it wasn't free of controversy as well uh everton versus crystal palace brother now everton of the uh, now top of the league they have now won their opening three fixtures and the last time they did that was way back in the 92 93 season what do you make of the new look everton brother well i like them uh they've always been my second team and uh, they were they became a bit of a lost cause in the middle you know no clear identity they were the whipping boys of the top 6 i think there was a run in the middle where they failed to win maybe more than you know one match a season against the top 6 for eight or nine seasons running but ancelotti's you know come in he's brought a wealth of experience and then he's brought in mm-hmm. the right kind of players now these guys uh, i still have my doubts whether they'll be able to do it over the course of a full season i mean hames excellent player marquis signing but you know as someone pointed out golden boot winners only mm-hmm. get so far you know there were there are umpteen examples of golden boot winners having done nothing uh in their careers and uh hames won the golden boot he scored a couple of worldies in the 2014 world cup he's an exciting player he's got that samba mm-hmm. flair to him you know he's got that south american mm-hmm. uh, finesse so uh his mobility his technique his his range all are excellent can he do it over uh, the course of a season remains to be seen i like what calvert lewins uh, brought to his game you know his uh, finishing his positioning used to be suspect and there were people who openly questioned if this is the kind of striker you can mm-hmm. carry your team on but now he's got 3 in 3 and uh, you know that's a crazy good start uh, if you get three goals in three premier league matches you know uh, against tottenham against um, crystal palace which are not an easy team to face uh, i mean you're on to something 
and then of course you've got the full backs you've got coleman and dinia so uh, i think it's a very solid team with a solid skeleton well calvin lewin's got five and three brother if you remember he scored a hat trick uh, last game week and he scored uh, once in the opening game week and once again so that's five he's easily you know running the lead uh, for top scorers right now and speaking of calvin lewin yes he got another goal and he uh, crystal palace were again going to be a tough game i mean uh, the way the way palace bullied uh, united last game week you know you know they were up for a fight and uh, they did come back in the form of kuyate in the 26th minute they equalized and again it was anybody's game at this point but richarlison with the penalty and again this was another one of those var penalties uh, i think it was if somebody headed the ball right down the defender in the middle of the, the defensive area struck his hand his hand was behind him to be honest but it struck his arm the referee gave it var checked var gave it and the players were unhappy obviously richarlison not going to make a mistake from there he scored and they took all three points then well richarlison's been their most uh, consistent performer over the last uh, season or so and uh, now with rodriguez behind him calvert lewin in front of him i think we'll really see this mm-hmm. brazilian shine uh, everton are a very exciting team but there's a moment right at the end when i think it was kuyate again who headed uh who had a chance at mm-hmm. the far post and almost mm-hmm. headed it in so the game is much closer than it seems and you know again we are maybe uh, guilty of talking in clichés but uh, such is the nature of pre- the premier league that there are fine margins i everywhere. completely agree and there couldn't be finer margins than in the west brom chelsea game brother no i don't know who to blame here should we blame chelsea for a poor performance or should we blame west brom for giving away a three goal lead Uh well to be honest if you were the West Brom manager and you carried a 3-0 lead into the half time you'd be pinching yourself and you'd be telling your boys to mm-hmm. not blow it and you know sometimes i i would say if they'd gone in with a single goal lead they would have probably come out and played a lot better i think what happens when you go 3-0 up and you know that the opposition has in them to score goals is that you sort of just switch on your defensive mindset a bit you know we've done it we've we've gone into tournaments wherein we've realized that you know the other teams got the legs on us got the technique on us and we've just sort of then sat mm-hmm. back and defended right and that's what west brom tried to do but you know there are there there have been some very good goals in that game uh, yep. mason mount yep. the first goal to get back you know that was key you know you want to get a goal back when you're chasing a three goal deficit uh, he got one back before the 60th minute um i think the second goal was um, yeah hudson odoi again a very well taken goal i must say the given go between mm-hmm. him and havertz exactly. was spectacular you know that's the kind of given go that you want off of your uh, attacking midfielders and uh, then of course it's abraham's uh, tap in which he couldn't uh, possibly miss from that uh, that range but you know what west brom could have mm-hmm. lost the match they were that shaky in the second half i think that's what a 3-0 uh, advantage can do to you but what is heartening is that they got to that 3-0 in the first place so you know uh, in the first two games a lot of pundits called them out for where the where are the goals going to come from and this young guy who's you know uh, finished very well mm-hmm. for the first goal and uh, pinched thiago yeah. silva's pocket mm-hmm. for the second he's done very well exactly completely agree with you let's go back to that third goal the tammy abraham uh, tap it now if you see the replay the ball loops over and reaches uh, havertz it kind of bounces off his thigh onto his left arm now var clearly did see it but in this case there was no review there was no double check there was there was nothing 
and it clearly you could see it in the in the replay that the ball does strike Havertz in the arm and the rule states if the ball uh, touches any part of the body and it eventually leads in, uh, in the, the hand obviously if it uh, you know it gets involved in a goal scoring kind of a move it's a handball and you got to come back to it but this time there was no review there was no VAR nothing we just went on with it yeah and this is the inconsistency that i think people moan about i think they want to know that uh, uh what are the what are the parameters that a referee is considering uh, you know i know a lot of uh, action is going on field when you know things happen and referees are hard pressed to take correct decisions all the time but now they have an assistant and a video assistant uh, to moot uh, they can play it back as many times as they want the referee should have been warned about it he should have been uh, you know it should have been a recommendation in his ear to go and check the uh, pitch yeah. side monitor but that didn't happen and you know this is the inconsistency that people will moan about uh, i mean if a handball rule is uh, you know outdated and primeval at least it is outdated for all 20 teams in all 38 yeah. uh, game weeks but you know you can't have one thing happening for one match and then the very next match another interpretation this is the plague of at uh, uh, that they and, should you know, the thing with var is it's not actually it's not exactly black and white is it like if you think about other things that have come into football recently like goal line technology that's a very useful tool if the ball is over the line it's a goal if it's not it's not a goal but with var it goes either way if it's a hand it's sometimes it's a penalty sometimes it's not a penalty sometimes it's a dive sometimes it's a sending off it's you don't know you know you can't predict these things with var and the point was point of bringing var was to eliminate these uh, unpredictabilities of the sport you know to make it more consistent to make it more fluid but i i don't see it uh, doing that just yet you know it might take a few years to uh, carry that forward anyway moving on to the last game it was burnley southampton and it was i mean who else but danny ings on the goal brother danny ings like what is this man eating and uh, what has he done since he left liverpool because in liverpool he was basically I don't know what bedridden. That's pretty much what he did at Liverpool. But you know, in, in Southampton, he's a new man. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm as surprised as you are. Danny Ings didn't even appear on my radar. In fact, I can count on one hand the number of times I put him in my fantasy <laughs> I was just gonna make team. <laughs> and and um, you know, every time I've subbed him in, he's mm-hmm. not delivered. So this guy is a mystery. uh clearly he's enjoying a kind of a renaissance you know so uh, people like him jamie wardy these guys come good you know in in let's say the late 20s um other strikers who made uh, you know who who sort of hit their peak later on olivier giroud comes to mind uh, obameyang you know even he's a late bloomer he didn't do anything spectacular up to 25 26 and it's only at dortmund that he's really uh, you know shown and then he's carried that for form into arsenal so you have these guys you know these guys who hit their straps uh, late into their professional careers so good for him and i hope southampton can keep him fit because uh, without him southampton are a distinctly mediocre that's true side. i mean the likes of che adams and shane long do uh, you know they are they do serve as backup strikers but they aren't as good as danny ings at least his conversion rate is insane All right, that was it. Now let's uh, the matches today, brother. I mean, I, we're we're still not done with the game week, mind you, but there's some really interesting matches coming up. First up, Sheffield versus Leeds United. Now that's going to be a bit of a Yorkshire tussle, isn't it? It's it's a Yorkshire derby. Uh, people have been uh, calling this the uh, you know the return to the golden <laughs> years of Yorkshire uh-huh. football for uh, all of the season. 
I personally don't see goals in this one. So I know Leeds have uh, gotten off to a flying start, seven goals scored, seven shipped. But I think Sheffield will be uh, disciplined. They'll be hard to break down. They don't want to lose mm-hmm. the Yorkshire derby. So I don't expect this to be a free-flowing game, uh, which is why I have not uh, selected any Leeds players in my okay. team. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm still uh, holding on to Click in my midfield because he comes as a as a bargain midfielder and he starts. And after that, we have Spurs versus Newcastle. Not much to expect there. I mean, it should be pretty comfortable for Spurs, the way Son and Kane are just clicking again. And now with the return of Gareth Bale, I think that dressing room is going to be really boosted up. Following that... Hmm. Well, I think I think Bale's not going to start yeah, this one yet. They're predicting him to come back to I the United States. Not... So that's good for us. I mean, that's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well... Well, well, well. The last thing you want is a fired-up Gareth Bale with a point to prove exactly. to Real Madrid. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, uh, Tottenham-Newcastle, I would say not quite a straightforward game as mm-hmm. many think. Uh, I think the scoreline last uh, weekend flattered Tottenham. They did not start well. Essentially, in the game, Southampton allowed mm-hmm. them too much space. So, you know, they were these balls that were pinged into Harry Kane and he was uh, playing them first time onto runs of Son. And it is worrying that, you know, uh, it wasn't caught on. Uh, somebody should have man-marked on, you know, maybe one of their uh, full-backs who, you know, they're not exactly slow. I mean, Ryan Bertrand is one of the faster guys on the pitch, uh, whichever team you play against. And they should have man-marked on or at least run with him. But you saw four goals, literally carbon yeah. copies of each other. So, I mean, um, yes, the scoreline flattered them. Uh, I don't think Newcastle will be a straightforward game. They have had, they have got on off to a good start to the season themselves, and uh, I think this one's going to be a good game. I think Tottenham will nick it, but it's going to be far closer than people think. Some valid points there, brother. Now the game after that is the one I've, I've got my eyes on for today. At least it's the Man City versus Leicester game at the Etihad. Now that's between two. You know, uh, potential top four finishers uh, right there, and it's too early to speculate in the season. But this, uh, it's games like these that really determine the the end of the season and where you end up on the table. I agree, and uh, I'm uh, quite at sea with this one because I know Leicester have been a thorn in Man City's side. They play the same kind of football. They're very exciting teams to watch. So, uh, it could go either way. I I do expect Man City to win it. The only worrying news is that. uh, Gabriel Jesus had to uh, withdraw from the Brazil squad, yeah. citing injury. And I don't know if Aguero is fully match fit. Right. So, I don't know who's going to lead the uh, line. They still have the likes of Sterling, Mahrez and uh, what's his name? Phil Foden, who can uh, occupy those spaces. Clearly not as good, but I mean, City have the depth to, you know, recover from any kind of a setback. I mean, they lost David Silva last season and I mean, we, we can't even feel his difference, the, his, uh, you know, uh, his absence anymore, you know. They've just made up for it. Well, City are a City are a strong, strong squad, and any squad with Kevin De Bruyne in it is um, it's massively talented. And uh, I back City all the way. It's just that when you've got a hard-nosed fox in the box, mm-hmm. Jamie Wardy, you know you can never account for people like Jamie Wardy, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, Wayne Rooney, uh, Nistel Roy. You know people like them. You know Drogba. Mm-hmm. Diego Costa, Fernando Torres in his prime, Luis Suarez. You know, no matter what the, uh, you know, the, the which way the game is going. But these guys have the capability to make one yeah. moment count. I remember this tournament mm-hmm. we were playing. 
if you remember, I think this is the tournament before okay. the tournament we won. And there was this one guy and everybody had warned us about his <laughs> left foot. And, yeah. and that guy, he tormented us in the group stages. And in the final, all we had to do was not let him shoot off mm-hmm. of his left foot. And we man-marked him and we man-marked him, but our legs gave. And in the dying seconds of a 2-2 draw, this guy gets it onto his left foot and just pings it off of the post into the yeah. goal and we lost. So these, this is this is the kind of, uh, uh, you know, the impact these strikers can have. So uh, I would say uh, Man City without a striker going up against Leicester with Wadi, it's a bit of a... Uh, it's a bit of an up-in-the-air kind of uh, forecast mm-hmm. to make. Agree with you there, brother. And, of course, the last game of the for today, at least, there's still one more game on Monday. In fact, two more games on Monday. And a certain big brother of mine was going to be really, very nervous about that, playing Liverpool at Anfield. But we'll come to that later. It's West Ham versus Wolves, brother. What are we looking for in this game? I'm just looking forward to Jimenez scoring like three goals because he's my captain. But pretty much, that's pretty much it. Apart from that, I'm not really interested in this game. Well, West Ham were pretty garbage in okay. the first game and they improved a lot against Arsenal. In fact, West Ham have been the whipping boys of Arsenal, but I think they gave us a scare mm-hmm. in the last game. Uh, so, David Moyes is going to have West Ham organised discipline and, of course, he's under pressure as well to have them improve. Don't forget that West Ham invested a lot. They virtually got that Olympic Stadium for free and then there was a pressure on them to kick on and become, you know, consistent top mm-hmm. six challengers, which they haven't. So, you know, the pressure's on him. I don't see him surviving the season if West Ham at least don't make a serious tilt towards the top eight. Um, West Ham have a good set of players. They are consistently underperforming their paper value. And uh, this is one of those games they have to take the fight to Wolves. Because if you can't challenge Wolves, which themselves are a top seven side uh, based on the form of the last two seasons, then I don't see what Moyes is bringing to the table at West Ham. Then they're better off, you know, ripping up the script and then starting afresh. Well, I think with teams like these, you know, you got you to gotta believe in the process. I think they just shuffled way too many managers from Pellegrini to Moyes to Slavin Bilic was also there at one point. I remember that. And... You know, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, think of the likes of uh, Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. I mean, for the first three seasons, he did basically, what, he finished out of the top four, maybe he won basically next to nothing. And now, you know, the board have stuck with him, they've given him time, they've given him the players of his choice and they've trusted in the process. And now you look where Liverpool are and the, the challenge is now on the other clubs to catch up to Liverpool. So... You know, it, it it kind of defeats the purpose, in my opinion. You know, if you keep switching managers, it's it's kind of looking for a quick fix. You know, it just doesn't work. You know, it's it's a good point about wanting stability. But, you know, sometimes uh, the signs are visible. For example, everything would have pointed to Arsenal sticking mm-hmm. to Una Emery. But, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a guy who's done wonders with Sevilla and he's won the Continental Trophy so many times. He uh, took Arsenal to the cusp of Champions League football. He got us to a Europa League final. But, you know, you, you feel... You, and again, these are things that probably are not visible to you and I. Uh, you feel a certain sort of camaraderie, a certain process behind the scenes happening, which probably the club management are better privy to. So, uh, if a manager is not able to instill a culture and ethic and, you know, uh, a path to where you want them to be. For example, with Klopp, nobody was saying get rid of him. 
even when liverpool were uh, not winning anything everybody was saying you know the process is on they're on the right track and even if it took a few years everybody backed him but it's not been the same with most of the other managers because people uh, sort of uh, i think figure out where things are not going to plan so i would say i would hope that moyes uh, does well i mean he did a very good job at everton you know I, I thought, and those I were the days where say, everton were, were not united <laughs> <laughs> well uh no <laughs> i think united he just simply yeah, stepped yeah, into yeah. shoes that were yeah. too big to fill uh but uh, he's done a good job at everton and i think west ham are mm-hmm. a comparable club with now a bigger stadium and a bigger budget so there's no doubt uh, that he can do the job and if they're on the right path then yes they should stick with him but uh, you know again if they're bringing in so many players nobody's getting time to sort of bed in and they're getting beaten by the likes of yeah. wolves at home then you've got a rip well i agree with you but uh, another thing we have to consider now and again this has become a thing uh, just recently with the with the uh, advent of uh, social media you lose a game and it's just uh, you know uh, negative sentiments all over the place i mean i remember we lost to crystal palace and it was hashtag #ole out within the first uh, what half an hour it was the number one trend in india apparently and not just that glazers and woodward and you know the usual back and forth that goes between the fans is just just not just uh, for you for solshar is just for you, even for lampard that lampard spent uh, 220 million to go and draw three all with the with the club that is just it's newly promoted i mean what's that about and there is just i feel like the fans have kind of lost their patience and their uh, their belief in their managers and the process and that is not necessarily a good well, thing isn't it well that is a discussion for another day yeah. bro uh, i think yeah. uh, social media and opinion is a is a much bigger topic uh, football is a tiny part mm-hmm. of it people uh, you know have a, have gotten used to putting their opinions out there even if these are unfiltered less informed opinions i guess everyone's got a right to opinion but you know when mainline media uh, ends up capturing such uh, streams of opinion for you know clickbait mm-hmm. headlines I think that's what you really want to yeah. weed out because uh, I mean in a social construct if 40 people are saying uh, one thing uh, at least in a face to face discussion you hear their points out you put counterpoints everyone goes back well informed or at least having heard the other person but on social media is just uh, sort of yelling into yeah. the void you know nothing ever comes back and then mainline media is also uh, culpable for getting these easy clickbait headlines saying uh, something like a ole out was trending in india i mean even if a fan like you who says trust the process but you'd be intrigued and you'd click it and the moment you click that headline their job is done so i think it's a larger topic mm. and football's but a small part of yep, this yes i agree with you there so that was it that was a review for uh, the matches in the premier league that happened on saturday and i mean obviously we don't care that much about the spanish league so we're not going to cover that maybe a passing uh, comment here and there apparently was it i think it was real madrid who had like a five goal thriller and ramos scored a 90 something minute penalty but anyway we'll cover that some other time so yeah look looking forward to today's matches brother and uh, we'll come back with another review and uh, hopefully we'll have a lot more points to discuss Hope so too, and it was a pleasure joining you on this podcast. Likewise, brother, and uh, hope to record more with you. Take care. Take yeah. care.